You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Hello, good, good morning, I should say, good <laughs> afternoon. Uh, uh, Ramadan Mubarak, and my name is Jelena Berlo-Rahman. I'm a human rights lawyer. I've been gifted with a transplant in December 2009, and I'm delighted to be here to talk to you all, uh, the listeners, about health and awareness during Ramadan. Uh, I've been a lawyer for over 20 years. That shows my age, but <laughs> uh, I'm enjoying it very much. And I started my own uh, I started my own law firm whilst I was actually dialyzed. And it was a decision I made very earlier on that I just needed to do something for myself and not be um, feeling... I have to justify myself all the time to my bosses. So that was a decision I made earlier on. Uh, thank you so much, Jelena. And our second guest... Uh, hello, salam alaikum. My name is Ifra. Um, I work as an optometrist and I've actually been lucky enough now to have two kidney transplants. Uh, the first one was back in 2003. That was donated by my uncle, my mammal. And then the second one happened very recently, peak COVID in, in 2020, uh, donated by my brother, Ahmdla. And um, I now do locum work, which has uh, really helped myself so I can pace myself with my work. But while I was dialysing as well, I started a little small business, uh, which kept me going and uh, alhamdulillah, that, that does quite well in Rosie. Thank <laughs> you. And our third guest. Assalamu My name's Asia, and I've recently had a transplant from a deceased donor. Um, that was in end of November 2022. So fairly recent. Um, I'm currently not working, but I used to work with HMRC. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Jazakallah. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, ladies, for coming in today. Um, so, yeah, so like I said, you know, we're just having a, a general conversation just to highlight the impact of um, donation as a whole. And also, um, illness, obviously, as we know, is a decree from the Almighty. But it's something that obviously impacts us on a daily basis when, you know, when we first hear that a person has gone into um, any sort of organ failure, whether it's kidney failure, liver failure, lung failure, the impact that it has on an individual is is hor- horrendous, you know, not just for them, but also on their family as well. So that's something I just want to touch on. Um, and just like, obviously, in conversation. So when you first, say, Jelena, um, found out that you had um, your condition, just Tell us about yourself, like about how how you felt as at that time and your age as well, because I do you were quite young as well. Yeah, it was very early on, Bushra. So uh, I was seventeen years old when I was diagnosed with systemic lupus erythematosus, so lupus for short or SLE. And at that time, I was seventeen, doing my A levels, and I grew up in London, so. It, it was a bit of a shock because I had lesions on my tongue, lesions on my hands, and uh, was very f- tired all the time. I had aches and pains, and which was very unusual for my age because I was very active. I was very sporty. I was doing a lot. So I first thought it was just because I was doing too much, and I wasn't really looking into the signs at first. And then afterwards, I started seeing a rash on my nose, which is called the wolf skull or the butterfly rash. And then I fainted and was dizzy. And at that point, I think the I was taken into hospital and they did blood um, blood tests and they found out I had lupus. But then what was worse was when they found out that I had um, inflammation to the kidney and they told me my kidneys were eventually failed. So when you're 
17 years old, being told your kidneys are going to eventually fail. Uh, oh, I was just in shock because at that time, going back all those many years, when people had their kidneys fail, I mean, you didn't have a long life. And that was practically, yeah. you know, the, it, it's not like the research today. So it was a huge impact. And I remember being told and looking at the books that, I'd live until 35, 40, and 17. And when you're 17, you think, well, that's not too bad. <laughs> and now I'm like in my 40s, and I oh, thank you a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it was hard because I still, they kept telling me, you can't have a stressful life because high blood pressure. So, those listeners might not know, but high blood pressure is a contribution contributing factor to your kidneys and the pressure and the um the blood flowing through when you have high blood pressure the arteries uh, go smaller so it's harder for the blood cell uh, uh, blood to flow through your body and um so i had high blood pressure and all those factors led to eventually the kidney failing when i was uh, 25 25 so yeah, yeah. and it was just a shock, you know, when you're young and being, you're, I was on dialysis three times a week for five hours each time and having to avoid certain foods and then drinking water, you know, not being able to drink certain yeah. amount, one litre a day. That, that, that age of your life as well, when you're yeah. like, normally everyone else is going out and well, this is living it. your life and, and you're and then restricted... And I think the word, yeah, I think you're right, Ifra, but I th- and then you have to have the sort of, you have a fistula cut out because what happens is you have to have really large needles, I would say roughly about two, three inches needles going in to dialyze and they need to make a bigger vein. So all these operations on your body and when you're that age, you're sort yeah. of not yeah. vein, but you know, you're sort of, all, you know, having yeah, cuts. Conscious just, yeah, conscious of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah Jelena, I mean, listen to you, I think, any teenagers think back now even obviously I've got teenagers now in the house and mm. and they're so body conscious I mean so and, you know and they're social and you know it's there's a lot that impacts them okay this is going back a good number of years mm-hmm. I take it but still it still is the same mental health as they say Definitely. and the same obviously with Ifra you were very yeah, young as well yeah yeah so with my story um actually it's the first time I've ever heard Jelena's story kind of probably oh. and it's um it's quite emotional just just kind of hearing yeah. that um, so with, with myself, basically what happened is I it was quite similar to Julian. I was um, I was actually eleven, and I was like I was a bit of a tomboy um, because I grew up around boys, and uh, I was super fit, active, played almost every sport you can think of. Mm. As one of those kids that, that kind of never gets ill. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what happened is it was it was a massive shock because it happened um, very suddenly within a week. So I just started high school, and I had so many different symptoms like you can pretty much everything you can think of um dizziness headaches vision going bloody couldn't eat anything was being sick freezing then hot and it was just it was crazy um and then we were back and forth to the doctors actually uh but three times in that one week and because i was so young each time they they effectively misdiagnosed me so the first time they said okay it's a a virus then they said oh it's uh migraines then it was a stomach bug so back and forth, and obviously every, every, the form of treatment they're giving me is, is obviously not working because that yeah. wasn't the cause. Um, and then it got to the point where I was um, all of a sudden at home. I, um, I remember my mum phoned the doctor saying, look, she's really ill. You need to, someone, can someone come out? She physically can't get up. And then the, the, the doctor was going to do a home visit. 
But what happened is that they, they then had an emergency and they, they couldn't um, they couldn't come. So my mum and my aunt literally lifted me up and took me to the doctors themselves, and I collapsed in the in the um, the car park. And at that time, so they, they, obviously the receptionist saw me and they, they rushed out. They called an ambulance. At this time, I think my family were thinking, okay, maybe it's a bad asthma attack. So I had asthma when I was much younger, but I grew out of that. So I thought, oh, maybe that's come back. Maybe it's a bad mm-hmm. asthma attack. So then I got rushed to York Hill Hospital at the time. Um, and then they, I got told, that, well, not me, I was out of it, obviously, <laughs> but my family mm-hmm. got told that she's uh, had gone into sudden re- renal failure, her kidneys have failed, she's gone into cardiac arrest, she's now in a coma. I'm really sorry, but she's not going to make it. Oh, we, we, we've done everything we can. And like, and then they basically said to my family, said, look, if you believe in a God, now's your time to pray. Um and that's what they did, and that's where the the Islamic the faith side comes from it, because the doctors mm. have what we say effectively yeah. given their jawab. Yeah. You know, they'd said, you know, that mm. that's it. Um, we've tried everything. There's there's very little chance. Um, in fact, pretty much no chance. Um, and alhamdulillah, like with with everyone's with the duas, you know, phone call to everyone. Yeah. I think at the time they were um, alhamdulillah, like you know, the community is amazing in that sense. Yeah, yeah. duas and yeah. masjids and everywhere, you know, one message and it, and, and this is pre social media. Yeah. You remember? So yeah. Yeah. Uh, imagine it going viral without yeah. all of this. Oh, stuff. we have the aunties. That's yeah, the aunties who are the best, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the best way of spreading news. So yeah. the aunties, alhamdulillah, um, it, it just obviously everyone's duas, and then a few days, three days later, I, I woke up and. Um, Here's the thing, what Jelena touched upon is the blood pressure issue. So because I was so young, I was 11 years old, they'd ne- if they had checked my blood pressure, yeah. if they had done a urine test or if they had done a blood test, any of those three things yeah. would have picked up, oh, there's something seriously wrong, yeah. we can't send her home. Yeah. But because I was so young, they didn't think. And that's, that's obviously what's really important to highlight is that this can affect anyone at any yeah. age. Mm-hmm. And we had no family history no one in my family's got kidney problems yeah. it's not it was completely out of the blue yeah mm-hmm. so um i think this is uh, what i'd really like to highlight from from all of that is that so my kidneys sorry afterwards they, they found out i was born with small kidneys so what happened is obviously it got to a certain point where my body could no longer cope yeah so you don't get symptoms until you it's very late yeah so yeah. i was fully fit healthy i think i just came back from holiday and then within one week that was it um so what we tried to do is raise awareness to say that if there was some form of screening uh, yeah. in children and adults, just knowing about the risk factors. Yeah, yeah. And that would help. Yeah, definitely. So we'll just go on to our third um, guest, um, yeah. Asuka. Um, yeah, so yourself as well, because you, you're quite recent that you've just had your transplant. Yeah, um, I was on um, dialysis. Um, my kidneys failed due to diabetes. Okay. So that's another factor. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You just need to control your sugar levels Um, I've had a pretty stressful life so ups and downs and you don't really monitor your sugar levels when you're in so much stress that's contributed as well 100% so um, I was on um, I got a fistula put in uh, pre-dialysis that failed gave me nerve damage in my hand I was left handed as well um, so then they had to do an emergency operation, close the fistula off, and then they put a catheter in my stomach. So I ended up doing home dialysis, mm-hmm. um, a bit like yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's what I did. That only lasted nine months because I was just constantly being sick and diarrhoea at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And then they had to do an emergency surgery. Uh, they tried to cut out, put a line in my neck. The nurses tried to do it on both sides of my neck. They couldn't do it. So the following week I had to go back in and the doctor's done it and I went, listen, you need to sedate me because I can't cope with oh this. God. Yeah. 
Um, I think at that point, I, would, I just knew myself that my body just cannot tolerate any more mm. surgery. Yeah. So they, they managed to get the line in, and then the day after my line got put in, I got put on to dialysis, like yourself, Julina. Yeah. I was in hospital three times a week, five hours a day. Yeah. yeah. But the good thing is you meet nice people during your dialysis That's sessions, true, yeah. and yeah. you know they're going through the same yeah. as yourself. And mm-hmm. then, you know, I was quite quite good in a way that I was encouraging them, putting positive vibes into them. Yeah. Uh, there was one patient in particular, he's been on dialysis since he was three. Oh, oh that's so And he was very, very down. Um, he's ended oh. up uh, being a double amputee as well. Oh so he was really, really down and he had anger issues, but we were both in the same room. So I started talking to him and stuff and the nurses noticed a change in his behaviour and his attitude he'd become a bit more calmer, more calmer yeah. and they were just saying Asia that's just because your company yeah, and you talking great. to us yeah. 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 a good support system I mean, makes a world of yeah. difference yeah. I mean this is why um, obviously I listen to your your stories it's very impactful in terms of people that are unaware of how much it impacts you emotionally yeah. physically yeah. as well and just social as, as a social aspect I mean um Obviously, I work within policy um, uh, with Kidney Research UK, so I've been working within the project uh, within Glasgow and Edinburgh, educating the South Asian community, the Sikh, Hindu, Muslim, on organ donation, kidney health and disease, because we know it's such a taboo subject, people don't like talking about it. Um, It's, you know, they think about death, they think, you know, and we've also got, obviously, the faith issues um, and the faith research that has now gone in and we've been doing a lot more now within these communities um but then on on the flip side we see how many people within our communities are suffering um, yeah and unaware quietly quietly so behind closed doors so when when we talk about this i mean 3.5 million people have got ckd that's chronic kidney disease within the uk today yeah um half of them are unaware they have it because Mm -hmm. it is like if i said it's a silent killer um with diabetes and high blood pressure being the two main causes. Um, and like you said, if you have, many of us all have stressful lives. Mm. How, how often do we actually check our blood pressures? And how often do we, it's <laughs> exactly. only when something really happens. Exactly. But see what now, which when we look at patients that are going through that, or even are actually going through dialysis, like you said, you're yeah. going to hospitals, you're meeting people. It makes you feel part of a family, should we do, say. Yeah. Yeah. So it helps, but mental health, is a big issue. So when we talk about, like you said, we touched on Ramadan. So just now, mm-hmm. those that are patients, um, I know, I know some that do fast, um, but I know many that can't. But then that guilt on them, it's so, it's so hard for them because it's such a blessed month. And yeah. we know people say, and we know we go and um, and people say, oh well, if you can't fast, you know, you know, the Almighty has given us that. Um, uh, you know, a step back that we don't need to, but still, you want to be part of that because it is yep. a blessing. How does that make you feel? Like, how how do you feel in this blessed month? Yeah, I think that goes back to for me, it's difficult. So I was uh, from the age of ten. I always used to fast. It was mm. just I used to love Ramadan. I just couldn't wait 
for Ramadan. And um, the first time, I think, I, I still was fasting, actually, whilst I had lupus, so that was an issue. It was when I was dialyzing, and I was trying to justify it. Like, my mom's like, you can't fast while you're dialyzing. I was like, no, 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 it doesn't matter. I'm still going to fast. And then, then doctors had to sort of wean me. I was like, you can't do that. You're going to make yourself ill. And it's that guilt of not really understanding. And it's only, I would say, for the last three years, I've come to terms with it. And that's a long yeah. time. You know, it's taken yeah. me a long time. And you're talking about mental health. That's when I do, I am down. And it's almost a little embarrassment of not saying to people, I can't fast, or you have to have an explanation and you're yeah. getting ready for yeah. your explanation. And I just hate that because I have to justify myself. But what I've done instead, and to make myself feel better, what this time for the last three years, for every day I do a good deed yeah. as oh, well wow. as give so it's not it doesn't have to say look I've, I've created something right? do a good deed do something make someone happy make someone smile give to charity yeah. so I've had lots of little projects that I've been doing uh, charity projects in different areas and that's almost like me coming to terms with the fact that I can't fast and I've tried because the problem is that you take your medication in the morning and you have to take your medication at a set time. And you can't play around with your medication because these yeah. are to keep your kidneys, yeah. uh, kidneys continue to be functioned. Yeah. So, and then even if you do get up and eat something and then, uh, do, uh, and then start uh, at Seri and then start then the water issue yeah, uh, and you're restricting the water. The, more yeah. the fluid issue. Yeah, the it? fluid can't, issue. We can't yeah. go that long without drinking anything. Yeah, because... I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean... Yes, you probably could drink so much in the morning and then in the evening, but then there's the medication. Yeah, and then, exactly. and it's, I think it's because you've been blessed with a kidney. And I was also as a cadaver, which means a dead ki- a person had given me, and I'd waited four years. So when you wait for so long and finally get that call to have that kidney, and every time you sort of, you know, think, well, shall I fast? There is a reason why it's in the exactly, Quran. Yeah. That, you know, there's yeah. an exemption, there's a reason. So I have to come to terms with that. But yeah, there is a guilt. Yeah. And what about yourself, Ifra? Yeah, um, I'd, I'd, I'd agree to a, to a degree. I don't, um, so I, same, I 100% miss it. I only, because it happened when I was so young, um, I got a couple of years when I was able to fast. And then since then, I just wasn't able to. Yeah. And I'm now in my early 30s. Yeah. Uh, oh, can we cut that bit? <laughs> <laughs> um, so... And, and not a year goes by where I don't miss it. Like every yeah. single year without. And I know, I know. Obviously, we've got the exemption, um, but I can, I can guarantee you know, even not aside from people who have kidney transplants, even people maybe the elderly. I know my nanny, for example. Um, anyone who used to be able to fast and can no longer fast yeah, misses dull. it. Yeah. And also, they would have tried once <laughs> and realized the hard way why they shouldn't and why they mm-hmm. exempt. Yeah. Why um, exempt. Everyone would have tried at least once, maybe when it's a bit shorter, and they're like, you know what? No, I can't risk my health. And obviously, mm. Alhamdulillah, like, Alhamdulillah is, is, there is a reason you're exempt. Yeah, and the same way Juliana said, is um, you, like I said, there's not a year goes by where I don't wish I could. Um, but my way of giving back is um, so Alhamdulillah, the small business that I started um, that's. Uh, quite a popular thing in Rosie. And a delicious it, one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's, um, it allows me to be a part of other people's. Uh, yeah. It allows me to, you know, other people are opening their fast through something we've yeah. provided. Yeah. And that's that's been really helpful for me. Yeah. And, and we started that in lockdown uh, when I was on dialysis. So that has massively helped, actually, because I'm like, okay, yeah, I can't fast. But then I'm part of someone else's yeah. uh, fast. Nice. So that's... Um, yeah. So I, I get where you're coming from. You need, yeah. you need something, otherwise yeah. you're, it's quite easily to, to slip. I know. Yeah. And what about yourself, Asia? How do you 
Well, with me, um, I've got a wee one. Well, she's not that wee, but it's still the guilt. Like, yeah. she'll go, how come you're not fasting? I don't want to fast if you're not fasting. I know. It's, it's like, oh, how do I avoid do, that one? Yeah. But she understands that I've been through a th- yeah. transplant and everything. She does know, but she, I think she just winds me up. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I do miss it. Of course. Like everybody else. Yeah. Like, I used to fast, and then I think as soon as my daughter's grown up that wee bit, yeah. she's realised that, hang on a minute. Mum's never fasted since yeah. I've kind of yeah. come to. Yeah. But, goes, but when you were little, I used to fast. But she's <laughs> yeah. like, but I don't remember it. I know, yeah. I know. It is difficult. But I mean, apart, you know, obviously we're in this blessed month and we do, it's it's the acts that we do. It's like Jelena said, I yeah. said, and, you know, it's the acts that we do that, that um, give us that extra, yeah. um, as you say, Build our skills, um, yeah. to, inshallah, for it. And Allah knows, you know. I always say, you know, it's like somebody was talking to me the other day, and um, we were talking about health, and and what he said was, if you're fasting and Allah's giving you that exemption, does that mm. mean that you know better than Allah? So yeah. it's about no, having no, to true. understand yeah. that if Allah's given us that exemption. It's like, you know, when we, we, we do the travel prayer, but then if you're traveling, you're doing the full prayer. But if you've got that exemption, why are we making life harder for ourselves mm-hmm. when we have that? And yeah. health is something that yep. is something that why, if we're going to make ourselves ill by doing something that we shouldn't be doing, then we're going to be answerable for our actions, as I always say. So inshallah, you know, we bless all the ill with good health and we do as much as we can mm-hmm. but apart from that um, when I when we think about the social aspect and obviously Ifra you were young Jelena yeah. you were young and yeah. even yourself Asia um, being an ill within the community we know it's such a taboo oh. uh, you know <laughs> yeah. and, we, and I know we touch upon this many times and you know even when it comes to being with if you're married or not married and, and you have these issues that you have how how do we overcome this? I always say, you know, illness is something that's it's not something that we've we've asked for or mm. or we've asked Allah for. It's it's happened in our lives. But how do we raise awareness that illness is not something that's gonna stop us from attaining either a good marriage or having children or other issues that we have? And I, I always have these discussions with patients and people that well, we work with and other family members as well. And it's it's such a difficult topic. This is why I thought I want to touch on this. And how do you feel about this? I'll, uh, I'll pass it on to you, Jelena. Oh, this is a topic that I also talk about openly because um, I remember just, I was 17, 18. You can say that's when the rishtas start to come in and um, things, you know, marriage talk is slowly stepping, especially, I know that sounds quite young to some people, but that's when the talks start. And I just remember the first proposal coming in and I, I just completed my degree and I was 22, 23, I can't remember, but I just recall my dad and mum sitting and saying, listen, don't mention about your lupus, don't mention about your kidneys failing. And it was just, I was a bit shocked because I grew up, you know, when you parents like that, you know, I was like, yeah. I, I don't understand, I've got to be honest, I don't understand why that would be the case. And they're like, no, 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 don't mention it. You look well, and that's true. See, when you have, um, everyone that looks at me don't always says to me, oh, you don't look ill, you don't yeah. look ill. And it's quite funny because they don't see what's yeah, inside. Same. I was like, oh, that's lovely, but yeah, I am very ill. Um, and then I said, no, I can't do that. And then I remember the doctors also saying at the time, 
whether or not I'd be able to have children um, because I ended up on chemotherapy for a while for yeah. three years. Uh, three years. One year was through um, intravenously, and then the other two years was through a drug called uh, cyclophosphamide. And I remember when I was taking that. Everyone thought I had chemo, yeah, a cancer. It's like, oh, if you got, if you're taking chemotherapy, you must yeah, have cancer. She's dying. This, you know, they're making up stories, yeah. and and I said, this is where you stop the gossip mongering, and this is where you can educate people. Yeah. I can use this yeah. as an opportunity to educate people, but they didn't want it. And just, uh, it was awful. And eventually, I, I married out, and the reason why I married out was because I, I just couldn't face that whole stress, stress yeah. of it um and i had lots of rejections on the basis as soon as they found out my kidneys were eventually going to fail i was rejected not knowing if i was going to be able to have children so unless you're married for love or, or whether it's in the community or out with the community that person will have to understand that they're just marrying you yeah. you for what you are and what whether or not and that they're in sickness and in health yes they will have to look after you yeah. because and they there'll be times when I, you know, I won't be in a position to look after myself, and they'll have to look after look me. After yeah. yeah, and it's hard. It's a Being it's a, a burden. Female as well. I'll like, tell you. I'll tell you a story which um, always sort of gets me. Is I I ended up really ill in 2007. I ended up with pancreatitis, and I ended up five stones, and I ended up with a hospital bug. So when they took the gallbladder out, um, ended up with a hospital bug. So they uh, had to keep cutting me up to take this infection out and um i lost all my hair and i was like a rake and i had already had a nikah with my husband um from outside and uh we still had to do the marriage ceremony but of course i ended up with this illness and i remember my dad it's the same with ifra was saying that when the doctors say that this time you know she's not going to survive um, my husband at the time phoned my parents and said that she's not going to survive they called me it was 12 o'clock in the night she's going to go for another operation and they're saying this is the third time they're doing this uh, we don't think she's going to pull through this time and when I did pull through my dad just looked at me in the hospital I was apparently out of it and my husband and he said to my turned around to my husband and said to him if you need to leave her you can I'll look after my daughter she's my daughter and my husband was shocked so what do you mean? It's like, you don't have to, because all my dad saw was someone that had lost their hair, that yeah. was skinny and had bags and everything attached. And and he didn't want me to be a burden on another man. Yeah. And I just remember, he's like, I'll carry my burden. This is my daughter, so I'll carry that burden. But my husband being sort of from Western community was like, yeah. no. I married her in sickness and I will look after my wife. Don't worry, I, I'm not going to leave her. But just, again, it was just like that little bit. Again, my dad worried yeah. about that burden that I would be on this person. And this is why I was saying from the beginning why I started my own business, did my own law firm. I didn't want to be a burden on anybody. And I, I, you know, if I'm ill, I'll be ill in my own time. I it was know. just that. But then we carry that as well, I think, as females, a yeah. lot of us do do this. I think it's a cultural inbred in us where if illness does come upon us, even if we are ill, we'll still get up and we will yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll look after the, the husband, the kids, yes. the parents, the grandparents, whoever is there. I feel it's almost like a, it's like a point you need to prove because you're like, well, there's nothing really I can't do. So you end yeah. up doing even more than... Yeah, I think that's yeah. true. Yeah. And what, what, what do you think if we're on this topic... <laughs> Oh, this is a difficult one. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's... 
I've never really spoken about this openly, to be honest. But so I had my transplant um, after two years of dialysis. So obviously a lot's involved in those two years. But um, after I had the transplant when I was 13, then obviously after a bit of recovery and everything, I was perfectly fine. <laughs> like, and yeah. So I went to you know school, went to uni, got my degree, travelled... And I looked fine, looked great, you know, so there was no, it's almost something that I, I didn't obviously forget about, um, but we never really brought it up, because, unless there was a need to. Always came up in rows, like, oh yeah, I can't fast because of this yeah. reason. Mm-hmm. But other than that, my friends knew, people knew. Um, and, and I was told from a young age that you're going to need a transplant at another, uh, at a later date because you've had the first one so young. Yeah. I was like, okay, fair enough, we'll deal with it when it comes to. So I always knew that was the case. Um, but again, because it, it was doing so well, it was never an issue. So I never, ever thought it would be an issue. Um, and to, to be honest, I, I um, didn't really start probably kind of looking till, till after uni. I just, um, my uni years were just too much, um, just enjoying myself uh, with my friends and stuff. Yeah. And then when we did, um, it was never once in my, in my head did I think it would be an issue. And, and the thing is, I always found with guys, it, it wasn't because I was like, oh yeah, because they're like, they've seen you, uh, you know how you are, it doesn't affect your day-to-day life. And I, I spoke to doctors as well, I was like, okay, what about kids' situation? And I personally know actually a lot of, of people um, who have had uh, kids post-transplant, yeah. Kidney transplant, yeah, yeah, and the loads. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh yeah, it's fine. Of course you'll have to get monitored a little bit closer, yeah. as, as if you were diabetic, yeah. you would. Yeah. But you can, and you'll have no problems. And obviously a healthy fit person may not have be able to have kids either, so yeah. you don't yeah. know, Eleanor's obviously. So the, these conversations were had, um, and, and there was unfortunately a, a time in my life, which I'm not going to go too much into, but I'm... Um, it effectively kind of got in the way, um, not because of the, the the person in question, but because of the the parent. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the issue was is that I think the, that's always the issue. Well, I think it is. The family, that, the, yeah. Obviously, what Juliana Juliana's touching upon is this sort of unf- very backwards kind of Pakistani mindset that they're like, oh no, is she Bamar? And I'm like, wait, hold on a minute. No, no, she's not. Like she does everything normal. Um, and then that that obviously that that really got in the way which was an extremely difficult time um and because of the emotional impact and the stress that all that caused um that was actually why my kidney failed <laughs> prematurely oh, yeah. so what happened is that that kidney humble was doing really well um and I was told I'd probably get another 10 years at least seven eight years out of it mm. um and then the, the the impact of the stress the emotional stress suddenly caused it to fail Almost instantly, um, and I was like, "What on earth?" Like, I remember speaking to the doctor. I was like, "What was going on?" I said, "Everything was fine, and we ruled out virus or any other issue." Yeah. And I was like, "Look, I've been through a lot of stress right now in my life. Do you think that might be the reason?" And they're like, "Yeah, definitely." Yeah. So obviously, this is quite important to highlight how how much stress can impact your, yeah. your health. And then, so then that that was obviously that then started feeling, and it's a completely different situation when you're in your adult life because um, I was yeah. a kid I was like oh it's fine so obviously then then I'm like oh my god what's going to happen now yeah. um, I'm, now I'm in my this is I think I was just before I turned 30 and I'm like oh my god like who's what's going to happen now I said yeah. I know I know the effects I've had transplants not my first rodeo I'm going to have more scars in my body yeah. I'm going to be on these steroids and I'm going to I know it's it's a, it's a cosmetic, cosmetic issue and it's superficial but going to gain a lot of weight i'm going to look nothing like i did before not yeah. for always this is going to take me time and but it's still about body you. of course yeah. it affects you, affects you. Yeah. So emotionally it i'm not health. the same yeah. physically yeah. i'm not the same mentally i'm not the same what are the chances now yeah. and i'm like oh god so um 
it's been very very difficult. I can't I can't deny that. Um, it's it's um. So yeah, so unfortunately, it's a South Asian community like Jelena said. She actually ended up marrying out with, and yeah. and, and I'm not entirely surprised at that. Yeah. Um, like I said, and it's really sad to see. It is, it is. And, and it's upsetting yeah. to hear as well because we know that as well. I mean, you know, um, obviously being ill after marriage anyway can be yeah. a big burden on the marriage itself, depending. And we know many mm-hmm. people that have been diagnosed with illnesses after marriage and even just recently exactly, after yeah. getting married. I mean, we know of people um, and we've worked with people and obviously within family members as well that after a very short time of being married, they've been diagnosed with a very serious illness. It, yeah. And it becomes quite... Um, it's they don't understand the pressure on the individual themselves. Exactly. And then on top of giving support, you're actually giving them more stress, yeah, yeah, which yeah. can cause even more detrimental health. Well, that's it. And Absolutely. I, and, you know, we come across to um, Asia, who's obviously got a young child as well. And how did you feel within your family? Like, obviously, I'm sure, alhamdulillah, you would have got support. But well, I had support. Means- my main support mechanism was my mum and my two girls. Uh, the older one's older right now, so she had to take on the mother role of the wee one yeah. because of me being on dialysis. Mm. I was on dialysis afternoon, so I wasn't getting home till like half six, seven o'clock, yeah. and mm. she was missing out on like mum time. Yeah. So the older one had to, you know, step in, step and in. there was a lot of responsibility on my older one's head. Mum ended up. I mean, alhamdulillah, she's active. She's fasting and everything. Yeah. And she she does the cooking and everything like that. So, you know, the kids were well looked after. So was that. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. But I'm a single parent, so I didn't have Mm. that issue of having a partner or a husband Mm. worrying about my health. So. But you still. But being a single parent has got its own stress. Yeah. It's because I wasn't there, like when the wee one needed me, like even at school and that. Even recently, the wee one had a parents' night at school and I couldn't go because obviously there's so many stairs to climb up yeah. and down and I don't feel physically yeah. fit to there, do yeah, that yet. Yeah, because yeah. you're quite recent as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, the older one had to step up again and, and go in. Go in. Yeah, Wait, I know. In that same note, it's, it's interesting. That's, it affects the family more than... It does. Not more, I wouldn't say more, but equally, yeah. um, the way it affects the, the individual. Like. That that's what we say, like, and we understand that as well. Uh, and in the research that we're doing, like, we brought out um, a, a new mental health report on kidney patients mm. will be coming out quite shortly within Kidney Research UK, um, and that talks about the impact on the extended family members as well, mm. um, not just as an emotional, but also as a, the physical and the financial as well. Because yeah. obviously, if you're ill and you're in hospital, you can't work, and if you can't work. You know, there's only so much in benefits that you can get as well, That's the way right. the world is just now. And we know that. I mean, obviously, Jelena's worked her way and she's got her business, Ifra. Alhamdulillah, mashallah. Mm. Like, you've all worked. And, uh, you know, Asi, obviously, you were working, you said, but you can't just yeah. now. But hopefully one day you'll go back okay, to work. Sure. But that still impacts you financially. Um, and you need that support network. It's funny that you say that, actually, because um, when I had the pancreatitis and I came out, uh, I had to learn how to walk again. So because I was bedridden for three months, uh, my sister had come up to support me, which I'll always be grateful to her uh, for doing that. My family live in London, so it's when you don't have that financial support, you start to panic. That's yeah. another stress. So when everyone was talking about all the stresses, it's like you got you, you sort of one hurdle get over mm. then the financial burden of right i'm not working and you need that family structure and if you don't have that family structure 
and you're alone it's so difficult it is really really difficult and financially so I that's yes I'm lucky that I ended up striving to work and I think that you have that inner energy like what you did during uh, lockdown and then I just could not sit down and not do it and the other thing is by working it was taking my mind off the fact that I was ill I was justifying to myself I can be a normal person I can do all the things and say to community see this look what I've achieved absolutely yeah Yeah. and it's a yeah I think you sort of have this inner strength and it's the strength that Allah gives you that you can do yeah. everything. You just, yeah. It's yeah. almost like you overcompensate, isn't it? Yeah, it's because you do. You're <laughs> too sure. Because people are like, wait a minute, you were on dialysis and you did what? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, but I just thought it was normal. No, I'm like, no, no, no. And it's, um, it, it is, and I feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's. So you don't want to be victimized. No, you don't want to be victimized. So no. there's, there's two. One, it's a good thing about our community is the fact that they tend to be more there for you in that yes. sense. And like, alhamdulillah, like for me, I know you were, you both had um, kind of deceased donors with myself. Had it not been for a mammal, had it not been for my brother, I don't know how long I would have been waiting. Yeah. They are on it. I can't even explain. Like there's nothing you can say. It's amazing. At, it's in, don't get me wrong. When I was a kid, my mammal, obviously I didn't have much say in it. Yeah. Um, this time when Adil, my brother came forward, um, he had to convince me yeah. <laughs> the, the mental and emotional yeah. impact. I'm like, oh, I don't want him to do that. I can't. I just, I just couldn't. And that, that's a whole show in itself, which I'm not going to go into. But if it wasn't for him, and then what we're talking about with overcompensating, it's, it's you know, you've been given, you literally have been given another chance at life, quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, dialysis is life support. If you're not on dialysis, you will, you will not make it. Yeah. That's black and white. So I feel like because you know you've been given a, a, a second chance or a third chance <laughs> in my case, you, you kind of do like. You, you don't waste time. You've got a kind of like zest for life. You you yeah. go and you do what you want. Yeah. You're like, you know, you, 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 you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. It's like overachiever almost. Yeah. That's funny. And because you've been, you've been unwell. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So you're trying to make up for that lost time, shall we say, you, you that are. you are. And, and it's and, little things don't bother yeah. you, things that make annoy other people. You're like, that's nothing. Like, I don't really care about that. Like, yeah. it's just such a small, you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't get, you're yeah. like, okay, yeah, that's petty. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's petty. Um, choose your battles. I know, and and that that's why you know, just touching on the living donation, deceased donation. Obviously, we know within yeah. our communities, many people don't want to become organ donors because yeah. a it's the is the myths, it's the misconceptions, it's the faith um, taboo, it's the discussions that they've not had, and and we know. Um, I mean, I would say a minority of the faith leaders that we we've worked with are 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 against donation which is fine you know it's a personal yeah, choice yeah. there's no but there's, there's no push for it there's also say. social aspects of it because saying that if it's funny because um when my when i was young my sister once she's younger than me and she wanted to come forward and she yeah. had to test and she was the one and um again you sort of feel like who it's an element that you don't these are the things you can't ask it's such oh, yeah. a strange it is another topic it's it a, whole, other, a yeah. whole new topic because it's it's like almost asking someone, is, you can't even describe how you sit in there and it's in your head, it, especially when you're on a yeah. dialysis. For me, I was dialysis for four years yeah. and it got to the fourth year and I was just like, I'm never going to get kidney mm. unless someone gives me a kidney. Yeah. And you start becoming desperate and you have these conversations. But my sister wanted to come forward and it was just, oh, no, 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 she can't do that because it'll impact her marriage. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know? 
and that that is and the question a lot of people is, have. Yeah, uh-huh. But we know that now within the living donation scheme now, um, obviously if you're deceased donate, uh, d- waiting for a deceased donor, like Asia had said, you know you could be waiting up to the latest stats in the NHSBT, the NHS Blood and Transplant, was that Asian communities wait member would wait twenty one months more yeah. than that from a white Caucasian yeah. and a black person would wait 28 months more just because of the lack what of donors. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's the average waiting time that came up in the stats just no, recently. 21 months more but what about generally? Generally for a white Caucasian it's less than 18 months and that can it just depends right. on, on your blood type and you know mm-hmm. uh, the, and the reason why people wait is because of the tissue type and blood type yeah. Yeah. and because people don't donate within the communities we have to wait longer. Mm. So waiting for a deceased donor, it's it's like, um, I shouldn't say this, but it is, it's like a lottery ticket for some because, Absolutely. you know, people mm. say, you know, it's the terminology they use, but it's a gift of life because obviously someone's passed away. It's someone's, um, you know, passing and their family's sorrow, but it's someone's joy of a gift of life because yeah. they have got a part of that person that is going to help them survive. Um, but then, you know, obviously living donation is reaching out to your own family members or loved ones. And we know there's a new um, project now called the Reach Project, which is now, um, it was a pilot scheme that came from Amsterdam that they, um, that they brought over to Edinburgh. And now it's been commissioned by Scottish Government and within the NHS, where um, they will be working now closely with people that are waiting, patients that are waiting to come and speak to family members and come speak to... and and let them know about the living donation scheme because it's a before it was just a one-to-one but now you can go into the pool where up to three families three patients can mm-hmm. be transplanted through one if you know well. one can go to one and it's like a domino effect basically but it's about reducing the um it's about reducing the waiting time for the patients that's the outcome you know people think is it a gain for there even with the law change that happened in March 2021 the work that we had to do within the communities you know the taboo the sorry the misconceptions and the whole um as, as I say, the campaign that had been started from England mm-hmm. about government owning your bodies yeah. and having... I mean, it was it horrific. Was just... What they don't understand are these are patients, really ill patients. I mean, all three of you have got different stories. I mean, and this is us just touching, as yeah. you see, the yeah. iceberg. We're not even going in depth Absolutely, about the impact yeah. that you're having. Mm. Being on dialysis, obviously, if I know you were on, like, nighttime dialysis. Yeah, so I had both. I had, well, uh, this time around I had the overnight one, but as a, as a kid I had the hemo, the hospital one, and then the yeah. Over, yeah, and being in the hospital obviously as a child, and yeah. Jelena yourself, yeah. Asa yourself, you know, really having yeah. both and going yeah, into hospital—that's well. your whole day. Yeah, you're getting this. It's like a filtering system, you know, for people that don't know what dialysis is. It's yeah. like taking out your blood and putting in cleaning, cleaning it, it, cleaning it. Back you're taking the urine, so basically taking the urine out of your bloodstream. So what your urea? Yeah, you'd you'd all the the bad stuff would go out and your kidneys would clean all that up yeah. and then you would urinate that out. But for people that have um, problems with their kidneys, all that poison, you can call it, goes into your bloodstream yeah. and that's what makes us ill. So if you have that in your... So let me just give a... For the uh, for the listeners who are listening, if I was on dialysis and I decided to stop dialysis, within two weeks I'll be dead. And why that is is because all the uh, all the toxins in my blood will eventually kill me, and that's why, the, why I call it poison. So that's why the, your kidneys do amazing function. Yeah. It goes through this filtering system. It's one of the most 
amazing filtering system. It's like filtering water, the way the drinking water you get that's filtered out, that's the same way it filters everything out and then uh, you urinate all the bad toxin and the rest of it goes into your body and all the goods go into your body. And that's how amazing our body is. But when it doesn't work, it, yeah. It, it's it, yeah. It's like the human body is so amazing, but until you don't, you're not grateful for each individual part until something yeah. goes wrong with yes. that. Like, <laughs> and so I always like, say this, yeah, I mean, it's like your kidneys are like your washing machine in your body. And we all obviously have washing machines, so we know in our homes, and, and if it blocks, what happens? Yeah. Like nothing. Only moves. then you appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> then you like, oh, no. you can't do your washing. <laughs> yeah. That's like your body. But it's like you said, so that one day you're in dialysis, the next day you're so exhausted. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you're catching up from the day before and then oh, the following horrible. day you're back in hospital again. And that's your whole routine until you don't get that call. And the thing is, you can't travel. Like Jillian had mentioned, yeah. your food restriction, the your food water restriction. The fluid restriction was fluid. the hardest. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't think any of us will ever forget yeah, it feels. Yeah. It's, it's like a PTSD. And then the food, that's <laughs> yeah. so funny because all your life you're told salads, fruits are oh, good for you. And yeah. then suddenly you're on di- you're, you know, you, you're told, no, you can't have pota- salads and this because it has potassium. You can't eat bananas. You can't. It's crazy. You're like, and you're trying to redig your food. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. I'm eating a lot. This isn't healthy. But yeah. that's you know what's the worst? Rosie. So see, when my, yeah. my, when my kidneys were feeling this time round, so we, we kept it from my fa- again, another show, another story for another yeah. day. But um, my mum didn't know. Um, my brothers knew, but my mum didn't know. So I came to Rosie. What have you got there? You've got couture, mm-hmm. you've got fruit, right? Yes. I couldn't touch it. Like, oh. I literally, if, if I had it, I had a tiny bit, and you would you would feel the effects yes. of how it made you feel. So I was like, why are you not having, like, couture and fruit? fruit? And I'm like, it's hard to, it's like, what makes other people, what's good for other people? Exactly. It's not good it's for not you good when your kidneys you. are feeling. Yeah. I know, and a lot it's of crazy. you, uh, yeah, and a lot of you are only allowed Say for example, a hundred mils of water a day. No, no, it's no, not. So it's, it's, it's a liter a day. They say depends how well yeah, you can. A liter a day yeah. is still things like it's very reduced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. If you had soup, for example, you had to count that. Yeah. Which I never did. Ice cream, <laughs> custard, and I never sauces. counted all that. And then this I was is, always used to be over. And they're like, Jelena, you're so over. I was like, I know. It's like I think mine was six. Because I'm a very petite person. So mine was I think six hundred a day. And I oh. once I once forgot about the um, the water and watermelon. Oh, no. oh casually yes. eating that. I was like, why is your blood pressure so high? Why are you so? I was like, I have no idea. And then we looked back and why I ate that day. I'm like, okay, that'll be it. Yeah, and <laughs> watermelon, and and it's okay in the winter months. You can kind of cope with it, but in the summer months, yeah, yeah you know, so and, hard, you can't, yeah. and you're sitting there and it's so hot outside. Or the trick was to put um, grapes in the fr- uh, freezer, and That's you had to right. suck on frozen <laughs> grapes. My niece was in August there, yeah. and it was really, really hot. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just uh, going into the freezer, getting ice cubes <laughs> yeah. and sucking on the ice so cubes. So hard. And, oh. and my brother and my sister-in-law were just looking at me going, everyone's having these cold drinks yeah. and you're sucking on these ice cubes. All, all these little things that you don't, people don't understand. Yeah. Mr. I mean, Freeze ice lollies were really good, yeah. the little 10 mil ones. Yeah. But then you're on, you're on like, I was on about, at one point I was on about at least 40 tablets a day oh. in the beginning. Yeah. So imagine drinking only allowed 600 ml with 40, 40, 40 tablets, tablets a day. And that's what obviously yourselves now after the transplants, you've, you're you on anti-dejection tablets. Yeah. You know, the amount of tablets that you have to take, even um, in that first, I would say, three months, mm. you know, yeah. um, and the impact that has on your body mm-hmm. as well. I mean, it's like, I, I literally I remember looking... Um, at someone that, and and it was like a box you know you get the yeah, little box. pubs yeah, yeah, yeah. ice cream boxes 
and it was just filled with tablets and that was what you had to mm. take but that was all those tablets were keeping you alive yeah. because that was helping That's the right, kidney yeah. or the organ from um, you know not rejecting um, your body not rejecting that organ so that impact as well and then obviously your body it balloons out mm. of shape oh, as well the steroids and people and then that again mental health because if you've oh, yeah. got weddings and family and then everybody has those comments so she's looking very healthy she's looking very healthy not knowing the impact that, that has on yeah. you as an individual mm. as well um, it's confusing because it's like you're you're you feel better. You've had your transplant, but you don't look. You look worse because you've gained all this weight, and you don't. You know, mm. it's uh, mentally it is tough. But then you work hard. Obviously, it's not there for life. You you do. You look after yourself. You know, um, but it takes quite a while to to go. Yeah. But the comments do make you self conscious. Oh, of course, you know, yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I know. Of course, you do. Well, we'll wrap up there. Um, I want to say thank you so much, and Jazakallah so much for all three of you to come in today and thank having this honest. very light thank conversation. Very but for some, pleasure. it might be quite heavy. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's important that we raise awareness about um, transplant patients, mm. transplant, um, and how it affects an individual, because many people are unaware um, of of the impact that it has on them. And as, as we always say, be kind. You know, um, as a community, we need to be more aware of of this because it's so common now within our communities. Many pe people are suffering in silence because they are scared. Um, they're scared because of um, how the community speaks to them or acts like them, and even its family members as well. So I think, you know, what, what I can take away from this is, you know, awareness is always needed for all health health issues but especially for those that have gone through such a major operation such a major change in their life they themselves are suffering on a daily basis because they, they they themselves know but we as family members and community members we need to do more support because that is what our dean teaches us and that is what we should be doing um so jazakallah again um any last words we can say before we finish up today it takes a village, they say, to look after a child. And I think this whole mentality of what you're talking about is it takes a village, our community. We should be, you know, all coming together, supporting each other. And that's what it's all about. So I think that's what I take from today, that if we all help each other and look out for anyone that is alone or anyone that you do see that needs help, just reach out because that's what uh, Islam yeah. is all about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just want to uh, mirror that. I'd say um, I think it's just a matter of, raising awareness, you know, educating ourselves and thinking more from an Islamic point of view as opposed to a cultural point of view. I think that's super important. Uh, and I think um, if, anyone, if, if anyone has time, there's a, there's a talk that Sheikh Rizwan did. Yeah. Um, yep. I would highly recommend listening to that. Yep. Mm. And Asya? And just really um, agreeing with the ladies here, um, just reach out to people that you know that are suffering alone or if yeah. you know somebody uh, like I know a few people that are actually alone and dealing with dialysis at the moment so yeah. you know I'm still in contact with them and yeah. just giving them a wee positive approach yeah. just keep them positive and that's lovely alhamdulillah we're yeah. all very positive women like, yeah, yeah. yeah. lifelong journey isn't it yeah, it's yeah. a lifelong journey definitely and we will be um, having a second part to this as well where um, inshallah we will be having um, a, a consultant speaking from the Royal Alexander Hospital about um, intensive care unit and the process of what happens when somebody does 
um, towards the end of life and the choices they have to make. And hopefully, inshallah, we'll also have um, a faith leader talking about donation as well and the importance Mm -hmm. of um, making a decision, not just for themselves, but also to help others as well. But Jazakallah again, um, and inshallah, um, have a blessed Ramadan and remembers all in your du'as. Ramadan Kareem, everyone.